0: Welcome to Music History Monday for March 21st, 2022. My name is Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Ludwig van Beethoven and the Legacy of Johann Sebastian Bach. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash Robert Greenberg Music, where I blog, vlog, podcast pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the birth on March 21, 1685, of Johann Sebastian Bach in the Thuringian town of Eisenach in what today is central Germany. He died 65 years later on July 28, 1750, in the Saxon city of Leipzig. I can hear the howling now. Dr. B, hello. Bach was born on March 31st, 1685. Not March 21st. March 31st. It says so on Wikipedia. Chill out and unknot those jockeys. Let's talk. Wikipedia and various other sources do indeed indicate not incorrectly, that Bach was born on March 31st. But according to the irrefutable and unassailable Bach scholar Christoph Wolff, writing in the New Grove Dictionary of Music and Musicians, Sebastian Bach was born on March 21st. And in fact, Bach celebrated his birthday on March 21st. So, what gives? a brief contemplation of dates by which we do not refer to one's social life, but the calendar. Old style and new style, in style and out of style. It is a question of almost Talmudic complexity. We're talking about calendars and the confusion wrought by changing calendars. In 46 BCE, Two years before his conversion into a human pincushion, Julius Caesar proposed replacing what was the 10-month Roman calendar with a 12-month calendar. Appropriately called the Julian calendar, it went into effect by edict on January 1st, 45 BCE. The Julian calendar divided the year into 12 months and 365.25 days, and stayed, in effect, for 1,627 years, until 1582. By 1582, a tiny but not insignificant flaw in the Julian calendar had become glaringly apparent. Over the 1,627 years it had been in use, the Julian calendar had drifted away from the solar year, meaning that the sun was no longer in the same position in the sky on the same date every year. It was in 1582 then, that during the reign of Pope Gregory XIII, born Hugo Boncompagni, 1502 to 1585, that a slight but significant change was made to the calendar. Instead of dividing the year into 365.25 days, the so-called Gregorian calendar divided the year more accurately into 365.2425 days. In order to institute the Gregorian calendar and correct for the solar drift that had taken place under the Julian calendar, dates had to be adjusted. Protestant Germany didn't adopt the Gregorian calendar until 1700, at which time the calendar had to be adjusted by 10 days. Thus, based on the position of the sun, Bach's birthday, March 21, 1685 OS, meaning old style, the Julian calendar, became March 31st NS, new style, in the Gregorian calendar. Like everyone else who lived through the day change, Sebastian Bach had a choice. Did he want to celebrate his birthday on a date or based on the position of the sun? He chose the date, and we can name his birthday as being either March 21st or the 31st, provided an explanation is given. Here's another reason for us to choose the March twenty-first date. On March twenty-first, eighteen twenty-six, one hundred and ninety-six years ago today, Ludwig van Beethoven's string quartet in B flat major, Opus one thirty, received its premiere in Vienna, performed by the Schuppanzig Quartet. In its original form, that six-movement string quartet concluded with a massive fugue. Fugue being a Baroque-era construct of which Sebastian Bach was and remains the undisputed master. The fugal finale of Beethoven's String Quartet, Opus 130, is but one of many such explicit references by Beethoven to Bach's music and the singular impact and influence of Bach's music on his own. The remainder of this post... We'll focus on Beethoven's string quartet in B-flat major and his debt to the music of Johann Sebastian Bach. I know, right? It's Bach's birthday and I'm going to talk about Beethoven? <laughs> well, yes, because we cannot resist the March 21st connection between Bach's birth and the premiere of Beethoven's Bach-influenced string quartet, Opus 130. For those who would like a dose of relatively unadulterated Bach on this Monday, I would humbly direct your attention to the following five previous Music History Monday posts. November 6th, 2017. J.S. Bach, Jailbird. December 11th, 2017. Not so happily ever after in Kurthen. January 1st. 2018, Like Father, Like Son, J.S. and J.C. March 11th, 2019, The Revival Begins. And April 22nd, 2019, A Marriage of Convenience, The Gig in Leipzig. Opus 130, The Storyline and the Issue. First, the storyline for Beethoven's String Quartet, Opus 130, and then the issue. Between July and December of 1825, Beethoven composed a six-movement string quartet in B-flat major in which two lengthy outer movements, a first-movement sonata form and a sixth-movement fugue, frame four shorter interior movements. The variety of moods plumbed over the course of the quartet is so great, from the frankly frivolous to the most fiendishly ferocious, as to suggest that Opus 130 is about non sequitur, about the unexpected for which we can never truly be prepared. Capping off this musical potpourri is the sixth movement fugue, a fugue so massive, so intense and complex, that it pretty much blows away everything that precedes it. Just so, at the conclusion of the quartet's premiere performance, 196 years ago today, the audience just sat there, stunned, their mouths open, with, we'd like to imagine, pools of drool accumulating in their laps. It was a premiere performance that Beethoven, for whatever his reasons, chose not to attend. Instead, he cooled his heels in a nearby tavern. When the concert ended, his assistant, Karl Holtz, rushed over to report. After Holtz told Beethoven that the fourth and fifth movements had received such rapturous applause that they were encored on the spot, Beethoven shrieked with frustration, Yes, yes, these delicacies, but why not the fugue? That alone should have been repeated. At which point, Beethoven rendered his opinion of the audience, quote, cattle, asses, unquote. Which brings us to the issue. Taking their lives into their own hands, Beethoven's friends and colleagues told him, in no uncertain terms, that the fugue is too powerful and too strange an experience to properly close the quartet. Beethoven's publisher, Matthias Artaria, was deeply worried about the commercial possibilities of the quartet due to, and we quote, Herr Artaria, the difficulties and abstruseness of the fugue, unquote. Ornery and contrary, even on his best days, refusing ever to take anyone's advice regarding his music, Beethoven was eventually convinced. He removed the fugue from Opus 130, and it was published separately as the Grosse Fugue, the Grand or Great Fugue, Opus 133. In its place, Beethoven composed a new movement, which he completed in November of 1826. This alternate ending for opus one thirty was the last music he ever wrote. He died four months later, on March twenty sixth, eighteen twenty seven. And so the issue. Should he have done it? Should Beethoven have removed and replaced the great fugue? The case for replacing or not replacing the fugue will be made in tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes Post. For now, let's understand why Beethoven wrote the thing in the first place. Tying Together the Potpourri The first five movements of the Quartet Opus 130 are so different from each other as to sound as if they each came from a different piece. Beethoven's original conception was to unite these five opening movements with what he considered, by the end of his life, to be the single most concentrated, most powerful, most rigorous compositional procedure in existence, a fugue, a musical procedure brought to a level of artistic and technical perfection never to be exceeded by Sebastian Bach, a full 60 years, give or take, before Beethoven's birth in 1770. The sixth movement, what Beethoven himself referred to as, quote, grand fugue, freely treated in some places, fugally elaborated in others, unquote, is, at 15 minutes in length, the longest single movement of chamber music he ever composed. Like the equally massive fugue that concludes his Hammerklavier Piano Sonata of 1818, the fugue in Opus 130 was intended As an apotheosis one that would bring together and unite into a whole the very different movements that preceded it towards a conception of opus 130 now please bear with me opus 130 might very well be perceived as a musical potpourri if we listen to it traditionally if we perceive its six movements as consisting of a series of sequential steps with each movement advancing the musical argument, the narrative, in a linear progression. But what if, instead of perceiving the five movements as a linear sequence, we perceive them as each independently relating to the fugue that originally crowned the quartet? Heard this way, Opus 130 is not a linear work, but rather a circular one, with movements one through five arrayed around the fugue, each individually related slash connected to the fugue, the way the spokes of a wheel connect the rim to the hub. That interpretation works conceptually and musically. And had we a week or so, we'd examine each of the first five movements of Opus 130 in relation not to each other, but rather in relation to the fugue. Beethoven and the Baroque aesthetic. We are so, so very close to touching something essential in both Beethoven's music and his artistic spirit. Again, please, 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 bear with me. Beethoven's late music, like Opus 130, was, more than anything else, about a process of becoming, of growth and evolution, about development and variation, a process of becoming that has its parallels in our own lives, in which ongoing change is an unavoidable constant. In particular, Beethoven's late music is characterized by a singleness of developmental purpose and a rhythmic continuity unlike any other music of the classical era, but very much like the high Baroque music of his numero uno musical hero, Johann Sebastian Bach. The music of the Baroque era, which we date from the birth of opera in 1600 to the death of Bach in 1750, offers up a fascinating paradox. It is music of great expressive exuberance an exuberance held in firm check by structural control. We talk then about the duality of Baroque-era music and indeed Baroque-era art and design in general, the paradox of expressive exuberance tempered and controlled by intellect and logic. The majority of Baroque-era instrumental movements are monothematic, That is, they feature but a single theme from which everything else develops. One of the reasons behind the pervasive monothematicism of Baroque-era instrumental music was the contemporary infatuation with logic and rationality, which created a compositional aesthetic that stressed thematic investigation, thematic development. For example, A fugue is a monothematic composition that introduces a theme, the fugue subject, and proceeds to dissect, fragment, recombine, and restate that theme in as many different keys and with as many different permutations as possible. A fugue is, at its essence, an exploration of the musical possibilities and properties inherent in its subject, in its theme. Because everything we hear in a fugue grows out of the fugue subject, a fugue is unified by its monothematic nature. A fugue is also about continuity, continuous non-stop rhythmic motion and the continuous non-stop interplay of the various melodic parts that make up the fugue. To an overwhelming degree, this is what instrumental music is all about. Unity of character, rhythmic continuity, and thematic development presented with the greatest expressive zap possible. Sebastian Bach took the Baroque era paradox, the duality of exuberance and control, to an entirely new level. He united in his music the fluidity and the grace of Italian melody, the intellect and compositional rigor of German technique, And his own Lutheran view of music as a profoundly spiritual art. The influence of Bach's music on Beethoven was singular. No music touched and influenced Beethoven more deeply, neither that of Mozart nor Haydn, than that of Sebastian Bach. This is something that became explicitly clear in Beethoven's late works, in which he elevated fugue to a place equal to that achieved 100 years before by Bach himself. But Bach's influence is equally, if more subtly, apparent almost from the beginning of Beethoven's musical life. Check this out. Other than his father, the only significant music teacher the Catholic-born Beethoven ever had was a Lutheran-born composer and organist named Christian Gottlob Neffa. Beethoven began his studies with Neffa in both organ and composition sometime in 1781, when he was 10 years old, and continued his lessons until he moved to Vienna in 1792. The keyboard music of Sebastian Bach was the backbone of Beethoven's study with Nefer at a time when much of Bach's music had otherwise fallen into obscurity. Neffa recognized Beethoven's genius from the beginning, and he remained a pillar of support during Beethoven's otherwise awful adolescence. took it upon himself to introduce Beethoven to the greater German musical community by writing an article, Beethoven's first printed notice, published on March 2, 1783, in the Magazine der Musik, in which he praised, in particular, Beethoven's playing of Bach. Quote, Louis van Beethoven is a boy of 12 years and of most promising talent. He plays the keyboard very skillfully and with power, reads at sight very well, and, to put it in a nutshell, he plays chiefly the well-tempered clavier of Sebastian Bach, which Herr Neffer has put into his hands. Whoever knows this collection of preludes and fugues in all the keys, which might almost be called the non plus ultra, the ultimate of our art, understands what this means. This youthful genius is deserving of help to enable him to travel. He will surely become a second Wolfgang Mozart, were he to continue as he has begun, unquote. Nefe got everything right except for one thing. Beethoven was not equipped to become a second Mozart. But he was equipped to become, in his own way, a second Bach. For Beethoven, late in his compositional life, all roads led back to Johann Sebastian Bach. The older he got, the more powerful and profound Bach's influence became. In Bach, Beethoven found a kindred spirit, a composer whose profundity of utterance and magnificence of expression was equaled by his compositional virtuosity. Never a wasted note, nothing done ever for mere prettiness or effect. By his late music, Beethoven had no desire to even attempt to reconcile his imagination with the rituals and niceties of the Viennese classical style. By the 1820s, his deafness, his isolation and alienation, his simple bullheadedness, and his transcendental compositional skills and imagination had, to his way of thinking, liberated him entirely from the necessity of writing anything other than what he wanted to write. And that meant looking to the relatively unknown music of Sebastian Bach and his fugues for inspiration. At the time he was composing his late string quartets, from 1824 to 1826, Beethoven told his assistant Karl Holtz, quote, to make a fugue, requires no particular skill. In my student days, I made dozens of them. But the imagination also wishes to exert its privileges, and today a new and really poetical element must be introduced into the old traditional form." For Beethoven, fugue, this most Bach-like of Baroque-era constructs became late in life the ultimate expressive vehicle in which his innate proclivity towards the most intense sort of musical development could find its perfect realization. Weighty stuff, perhaps a bit overweight for a Monday. But then again, we're talking about Beethoven's late music for which, like Bach's own music, there is no such thing as too deep or too heavy a conversation. On a somewhat lighter intellectual note, we'll return in tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes with the remainder of the story of Beethoven's Opus 130 and then what is for me a special recommendation. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.